Today is a tough study. The book of Job, I'll be honest with you, is a very tough book for me because what it is, it's an honest book. It's about a man who was struggling with a situation. You guys probably know the background, but just in case you don't, uh, his 10 children died. Think about that. He lost all his health. He lost all his wealth. He was covered with boils from the top of his head to the tips of his toes. And to make matters worse, the devil was coming against him. And the devil was using his friends to discourage him. And so it was a very difficult place for him to be. And what it ends up being for us all is a lesson in life. Uh, Job ends up being really someone that God uses to communicate through us this truth as we read in the book of James. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith, it produces endurance. It produces that patience that we need. And so... You know, when you go through the hard times, and we will all go through them, maybe you're there right now, the Bible says we can rejoice, we can count all joy, we can, we can say praise God. And I've gone to guys in the hospital suffering, going through difficulties, and they lift their hands, and they say praise God. Because they know the truth of God's word, that when we go through trials, if we keep our eyes on the Lord, we will grow. It's not automatic, though. You've got to get your eyes on the Lord, and you've got to know that truth to be true. How many of you here want to grow, just out of curiosity, in your relationship with God? Are you growing? Are you growing? Seriously. You know, sometimes people end up getting stagnant, like me. When I was 12 years old, I was the tallest guy on the baseball team, believe it or not. I was, I was this tall. <laughs> And then I stopped growing. That can happen to Christians as well. And so what we got to do is as we go through, sometimes I ask the Lord, I say, Lord, I want to grow. And he says, okay, then you got to go through trials. Lord, I don't want to go through trials. I don't want to go through difficult times. But he says, it's the only way. It's the only way. And so we count it all joy. It's an opportunity for us to grow. You know, and uh, there's so many things that we can measure in that growth. But going through the hard times, this is how it happens. And so Job is right there, and he's an example for us. Look what he says. Look at how difficult it is for him in verse 1. He says, My spirit is broken. My days are extinguished. The grave is ready for me. Are not mockers with me? And does not my eye dwell on their provocation? You know, Job is saying here, I'm close to death, and rather than... My comforters, you know, helping me. What's ended up helping is they're hurting. And I'm stuck with these mockers. Sad to say, my eyes are on them while they provoke me. And that word right there speaks of them being rebellious and hostile. And so, you know, here's the thing. Job is at death's door. He, he thinks he's going to die. He wants to die. And, and when you're there, man, think about it. How difficult it would be if your spirit was broken. You know, the Bible says in uh, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 14, The spirit of a man will sustain him in sickness, but who can bear a broken spirit? You know, if I'm physically hurting, that's one thing. But man, when it gets to my heart, when it gets to my emotions, when you're there and you lose hope, you know, and you don't even know where God is. That's where Job was. He says, again, my, my spirit's broken. My days are extinguished. The grave is ready for me. I mean, he thinks he's going to die, and part of him wants to die, but he doesn't want to die without being justified. That's the book of Job. And so as he's there, verse 2, it says, Are not my mockers with me? And does not my eye dwell on their provocation? Here's the thing. 
When you die, where will your eyes be? You know, and I know we talked about this before many times. We want to get raptured. Amen? Lord, please rapture us. I don't want to go through that. But you just never know. I thought I had to deal with the Lord that God was going to come before my daughter started dating. It didn't happen, okay? And so we don't know. We don't know when the Lord's going to come. But if we're there in death's door, where will your eyes be? Job right here is being honest. He says, you know what? My eyes are dwelling on these mockers. These guys that are giving me a difficult time. These guys that are instruments of the devil. And I just want to encourage you, when you're there one day, if we're there one day, and who knows how it's going to happen. It can happen any time. You can get in a car accident. You might be there lying on the side of the road. You, you've got minutes left. Get your eyes on Jesus Christ. You might have cancer. Again, I don't want to speak that over anyone's life, but this is the fallen world that we live in. Fallen bodies. We're fighting fallen angels. When you're there, ready to die, dwell on the Lord. Lift up your eyes and know this, that it's glorious. It's glorious. What does the Bible say? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because the Lord is with me and he'll be with you there. We have read stories of men who have died. They lay their lives down as martyrs, some of them being burned at the stake, but they're singing songs. Why? Because they've got their eyes on the Lord. And that's where we need to be as well. Here, unfortunately, Job, he teaches us a lesson by, in this case, you know, his struggles. He says, you know, I want to die. I feel like I'm going to die. These mockers are with me. And, you know, my eyes are dwelling on them. That was a struggle that he was having. That's why he vacillated in his walk. And that's why a lot of people vacillate in their walk. You read the book of Job. Just try it. Just read it. And you watch how he went up and down all around. He wandered through the wilderness. There was no consistency in his life. Not saying that he sinned. But man, he wasn't, you know, there straight on. He would go here, there, vacillate. He would relapse. And that's why a lot of Christians, they do that. You know, they relapse. Why? Because they don't have their eyes on the Lord. Look what he says in verse 3. Now, now put down a pledge for me with yourself. Who is he who will shake hands with me? For you have hidden their heart from understanding. Therefore, you will not exalt them. And what, the, what, what Job is basically saying there is, Lord, I need, to, I need to make a covenant with you. And you guys know how life is. We shake hands. We do deals. He says, I want to do a deal with you, God. These guys who are my friends, they don't understand what's going on. It's almost like you're hiding the truth from their eyes. Look again. Now put down a pledge for me with yourself. Who is he who will shake hands with me? For you, he's speaking to God, you have hidden their heart from understanding. Therefore, you will not exalt them. You know, sometimes, uh, you know, people that want to minister to other people, they're not able to, they're not equipped to, they don't really understand what's going on. You know, one of the things when you find yourself going and talking to people and you're trying to minister to them, don't just listen to the content, listen to the heart. Don't just listen to what they're saying, listen to why they're saying what they're saying. Listen deeper. 
You'll be able to reason with them later, but when they're there at the bottom and their kids have just died and they found out they just got cancer or whatever the situation is, the calamity, the tragedy is, make sure you don't go in there just listening with your head. you got to listen with your heart. These guys right here, they have no spiritual discernment. And that's another lesson for us. You know, when you go and you're visiting and you're trying to comfort and minister to people... You know, you have to ask God, Lord, show me, is there anything that I need to share with them? Lord, show me what's going on in their life. They, for them, it was hidden. You have hidden their heart from understanding. Therefore, you will not exalt them. Now, it wasn't that Job wanted flattery. That's what he says next in verse 5. He who speaks flattery to his friends, even the eyes of his children will fail. You know, that's one extreme. Not that I want that, Lord. I don't want these guys to come and just pat me on the back and tell me what, you know, whatever I, I want to hear. Lord, but that they would sympathize with me. Lord, that they would, you know, just because it seems like it went to the other extreme. Look at verse 6. But he has made me a byword of the people, and I have become one in whose face men spit. I mean, it's, Lord, it's like, Lord, not that I want people to flatter me and I want it to go to that extreme, but Lord, look at where I'm at right now. And you guys who have studied the book of Job, you know his situation. It wasn't that he was in sin. He was upright. He feared God. He shunned evil. He prayed for his family. There was no one like him in the whole wide world. And so the devil said, I'm going to go after him. Job didn't understand why. He knew it, was because it wasn't because he was in sin, but that's what his friends, or so-called friends, were saying. And so it had become so bad, word had gone out so bad about this guy, that when people thought of Job, they thought only negative. This guy is just, man, he must be in sin. His name was a byword for that. I mean, I, I don't know, and I know this is kind of uncomfortable to talk about, but have you ever seen anybody spit in someone's face? It's a terrible thing to see. I remember one time I was at Vaughn's and I was in line and, you know, just you would never figure anything like that would happen. But I remember this young guy, just a jerk. He was a jerk and he started fighting with this lady. They were arguing, right? And she put him in his place. But he then spit. He spit in her face. Like they did the Lord, how they spit in his face. And this is what they were doing to Job, just going through this. Now some say maybe it was just symbolic. Later in the book of Job, chapter 30, verse 10, it says, They abhor me, they keep far from me, they do not hesitate to spit in my face. And so the guy's going through just hard times. Hard times. In, in verse 7, he says, My eye also has grown dim because of sorrow and all my members are like shadows. You know, and what he's saying right there in verse 7 is that he can't see because he's crying so much. His, his eyes are swollen shut. You know, and I don't know if you've been there. Some of you have. You know, the Bible says that God takes every tear and he puts them in a bottle. And what that means is that he's aware of every single tear you cry. But some people, man, they... You know, they, they cry a lot. They've gone through a lot. That's where Job was. And it says right here that he, it says all my members are like, are like shadows. And what that literally means is that he was fading away to nothing. 
is fading away to nothing. He's not the man he used to be. Now he's just a shadow of what he used to be. And I don't know if you can visualize that. Um, I know, like, uh, I'll share this with you guys because um, you're my friends and you guys are praying for my family. Man, but um, last week, you know, our dog, uh, Chip, 15 and a half years old. And so I don't know what that is in dog years, but I know that's, that's a lot, you know. And so what ended up happening was uh, uh, I, I gave him a, a bath and uh, just clipped his hair and his, and his nails. But as I was watching him the other day, I was, uh, I, he's been deteriorating. Next thing you know, I'm washing him, his skin and bones. Skin and bones. And so, you know, we started getting concerned. The next thing you know, uh, my wife uh, uh, sees him, and I guess he has some, some uh, seizures, and he's sitting in the wall, blood, and just all these things begin to happen. And so we took him to the vet, and they had to put him down because he had kidney failure. There was nothing they could do. And I just so just thinking about this little dog, the way that... Man, when he was a little puppy, oh man, he is an awesome dog. I know for sure he's saved. There's no doubt about it whatsoever. <laughs> but he would just jump. You guys know how Tigger is in, in Winnie the Pooh? How he would just jump up on his tail, man. I mean, this little dog, he chased coyotes. I mean, he was not afraid of anything. You know, and you see him, and even though he wasn't a big dog, he was strong, he was courageous. And uh, one of my friends was telling me that when dogs, they start, you know, passing, that they try to be strong for you, even in the end. And, and in one sense, what he was doing is he was trying to be strong for us to the point where we almost didn't notice it until finally I gave him that bath and I felt him and I just said, man, he's just skin and bones. And that's where Job was. He said, right there, all my members are like shadows. That's... I'm just nothing compared to what I used to be. He needed help. He needed comfort. He needed friends, but he wasn't getting that. It says in verse 8, Upright men are astonished at this, and the innocent stirs himself up against the hypocrite. You know, when, when a righteous man it, it suffers these things, you know, it should anger us in one sense. It should grieve us in one sense. Man, there's something about this that's not right. You know, not necessarily that we would get mad at God, but living in this world as a fallen world, we should just all long for heaven. You know, the upright says are astonished at this, and the innocent, now the innocent in the book of Job, that's, that's him. Job is the innocent. Now he's stirring himself up against the hypocrite. The hypocrites are his friends. His friends that are coming to him, think about this for a second. Please think this one through. The most righteous man on planet earth. Because when, when Satan went before Job, the Lord said, Have you seen my servant Job? There's no one like him on earth. He loves me. He fears God. He shuns evil. He's blameless. He's upright. Think about that. And then some people are so, you know, self-righteous that they would actually go to him and say, the reason you're suffering, the reason you lost everything is because you must be in sin. That's not what was going on. 
It reminds me of the book of John chapter 9 when, you know, you guys remember the, the Jews had a false uh, belief that, that if you were born, you know, something was wrong, then it was because you were in sin. So remember this guy, he was born blind. Think about that, he was born blind. And so the disciples are walking with Jesus one day and they say, Jesus, what happened with him? Is it because he sinned or his parents sinned? You know, they actually believed that, uh, that the child could actually sin within the mother's womb. And so the child sinned or the parents sinned. That's, a, that's why the kids are bad. But it's absolutely nothing like that. It couldn't be the furthest thing from the truth. You know, sometimes, you know, we get a child that might not be whatever we consider to be normal. But it's because God says, I entrust this child to you because I know you're going to love them no matter what. You're going to take care of them. I believe that with all my heart. We've got to be really careful. When we start thinking, well, you know, the children are born this way because parents are bad. No. But that's the way they were. That's their mentality. It was twisted. He was innocent. They were hypocrites. And God was doing a work in Job. I love what we read next in verse 9. It says, Yet the righteous will hold to his way, and he who has clean hands will be stronger and stronger. Okay, and that's the verse I want you guys to memorize. Okay, next week I'm going to make you all stand up, and I want oh, to won't be here. Henry, <laughs> Henry will be here next week. That is an awesome verse, and that's the verse that I pray over you tonight. I pray. That, that, that we would be righteous, that we would hold to God's way, that we would have clean hands, and that we would be stronger and stronger. You know, I, I thank God that Job didn't just say, okay, yeah, you guys are right, you know, you know, four against one, you must be right, you're older than me. Remember, they were older than Job. Some of them were. And so, you know, thank God he didn't give in. He held to what he knew was true. He held to his way. He held to the Lord and God's ways. And I want to encourage you to do the same. Never let go, even though our enemies will do everything and anything they can to convince us to do just that. I mean, if you can visualize like you're holding the, the Lord, so to speak. I don't know. You're holding his hand. You're holding God. And he says, there's the enemy that's trying to pull him out of your hands. Never let go. That's something that we got to do. We know that according to Job chapter 2 verse 9, that Job held to his integrity. And in Job chapter 27 verse 6, we read about him holding tight to his integrity. So not only you hold, but you hold tight. And we need to do the same. You know, how many of you here bet you you're not doing good with the Lord? There are some of you here that if you were honest, you would say you're backslidden. You're not really right with God. You're not really going forward. You're not growing. You're going through the motions and you know it. We know it. You're not holding fast to those things that you need to hold on to. You know, tonight, man, let's do that. First Thessalonians 5.21. Test all things. Hold fast. Hold tight. Be fastened to what is good. Revelation 3 verse 11. Jesus said, behold, I'm coming quickly. Hold fast. Again, that means hold tight. What you have that no one may take your 
crown. Think about that. You know, one day we're going to be home in heaven. I can't wait for that day. We're going to have, it's going to be amazing where pizza will be good for you. I mean, I just, I'm so excited about heaven, being there, seeing God. You know, no more sin, no more sickness, no more suffering, no more of this craziness that we're experiencing now. And, and when we're there, we're going to stand before the Lord, and He's going to give us crowns. Those crowns will be your rewards, which I think in many ways will be our responsibilities for eternity, what we're going to be doing for eternity. There are rewards for our faithfulness now, but if you don't hold fast, you'll lose those crowns. That's why we got to hold fast. God's been calling me to pray like this. God's been calling me to get into His Word like this. God's been calling me to go street witnessing like this. God's been calling me to be this type of husband, this type of dad, this type of friend, this type of pastor, whatever it is. And you got to hold fast to those things because if not, then Satan's going to strip the crown away. you got to hold fast, Jesus said. Hebrews 10.23, it says, Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope, Without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Now Hebrews is a really interesting book. I, I encourage you, when you get the chance, you study it out on your own and you let the Lord show you what it really means. But Hebrews is a book where the, the Christians were drifting away. It says that in chapter 2, verse 1, that if we neglect this great salvation, we can drift away. Drift away. So what was happening was they were going through hard times. They were being persecuted because they were Christians. They were Jewish Christians. They started going back to the law. And so whoever is writing the, the book to them says, hey, you guys better hold fast. Now the word spoken through angels, if that received a swift and just reward, how much more if we neglect so great a salvation? Because this is a word that was given to us by Jesus. So all I'm saying is hold fast. I'll tell you what, and I'm just going to be straight out with you. There's a lot of people who go to church who aren't Christians. And there's some people that go to church that don't go anymore. They don't go anymore. Now, does going to church make you a Christian? No, but it shows you are. Because you, have, you need the fellowship. You know, I remember when my fish started dying, when they would get sick. You guys remember that? What would happen? They wouldn't eat anymore. Right? And then the next thing you know, do you guys remember? They're floating on the top. Does anybody remember that, or is it just me? I remember that. If you don't have an appetite for the word and prayer and fellowship, it's a bad sign. And so, what I'm saying is that if we don't hold fast, Hebrews says, hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. You know, not only never let go, but hold the Lord even tighter than ever. How many of you guys uh, you give your, your spouse a hug? You give them a hug. You know what I'm talking about? Okay, hopefully you do. If not, you're a joke. Um, you know, and sometimes you can give a little side hug or a little squeeze, man. But do you ever just like squeeze them like to where the toothpaste comes out? If you know what I'm talking about, you know? Squeeze so tight and, you know, thank God I can still lift my wife up and spin her around, things like that. You know, I think that I also just like to visualize it like that with the Lord because, you know, when you're, when you're holding tight to the Lord, it's not just that I'm holding tight so that I'll never go away, but I'm holding tight because I want to be close to Him. I want to be so close to Him. 
And when you do, I think you're gonna you're gonna be blessed. You know, I was thinking about Ruth, and uh, you guys remember the whole story, the Book of Ruth, when Naomi and Orpah and Ruth were there, and there was a time when there was a, they were like in a crossroads where you know the daughter-in-laws they could have gone back to their land of Moab, and and, Ruth, and Naomi was encouraging them, go back, go back to your land, you know, go back and get married. But you remember what happened? One chose to go back, and the other didn't. But it says in the book of Ruth 1 verse 14, then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. And I think that's the difference a lot of times in life as a Christian. Which one are you? Do you kiss God? You say the right things? You know the cliches? Or do you cling to Him? You know, Job, he held fast. It says right here in verse 9, Yet the righteous will hold fast to his way, and he who has clean hands will be stronger and stronger. You know, I, I don't know how this works. I mean, how many of you guys here, you eat food with dirty hands? Some of you guys probably do, right? Or no? <laughs> You know, usually mom tells us, you know, to wash our hands before we eat, and now we got all that disinfecting stuff, and I don't know, you can put it on before. And I guess it's probably good for you, you know, there's probably a spiritual message there as well for us, right? The Bible says this in Psalm 24, in verse 3 and 4, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol, nor sworn deceitfully. And you look at that passage right there and you have some specifics, right? I mean, what is it about, spiritually speaking, what does clean hands mean? It means that nothing comes before God. There are no idols in your life. Nothing. My life is to do His will, not mine. And nothing comes before Him. That's an individual with clean hands. But not only that, it's so much more. I mean, when you think about clean hands, the word clean in Psalm 24, it comes from a Hebrew word which means innocent, blameless, clear, and guiltless. And as we come to Jesus Christ, isn't it cool to know that He washes away all our sins? In Psalm 26 and verse 6, it says, I will wash my hands in innocence, and so I will go about your altar, O Lord. See, we gotta, here's one thing, I mean, I don't know, just out of curiosity, how many times a day do you wash your hands? I don't know. You guys don't have to answer out loud, but maybe some of you here, I mean, it could be like 10 times, huh? And in one sense, I think that's kind of how it is when we come to the Lord and, and we're asking for forgiveness, right? I mean, you know, how many times do we ask for forgiveness? That's what we got we to gotta do. But we got to make sure that we're not holding on to any sins in our life. I like Isaiah chapter uh, 1 and verse 15. It says, when you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Think about that. So wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. If we lift up clean hands, then we will be rewarded one day. Psalm 18, verse 20 it says, the Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands. He has recompensed me. And so here's the thing. And this is really the, the thing I think I'm most excited about. Look again at verse 9. It says, yet the righteous will hold to his way 
And he who has clean hands will be stronger and stronger. You guys, beloved, that's what I want for your life. That's what I pray for my life. Lord, I've been walking with you since 1989. I've been a Christian for a long time. And, you know, perhaps I know a few Bible verses and, you know, maybe, you know, certain things and whatever I get to counsel and things like that. But, man, Lord, I want to grow. I want to be stronger. And now I know that I can. You know, what we see in the Bible is that we can actually be stronger and stronger. And that's a promise we have in the scriptures that's different than the Old Testament. And I'll just show this with you real quick. In the Old Testament, you look it up later in Exodus chapter 34, when Moses would go up and spend time with God, then he would kind of like be at God's feet. He would see the Lord and his face would just get glory, man. But then what would happen is when he would come down the mountain, the glory would fade away. So it wasn't perpetual. And so there's a contrast over in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that says, but now there's a new covenant that doesn't fade away. As a matter of fact, I mean, 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, same thing now that Moses was doing, but now it's New Testament, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. I mean, we're going from glory to glory. Think about that. Let me ask you a question. If for those of you who are married, how many of you are married? If you would raise your hand for a second. Okay. Um, is your marriage stronger now than it used to be? Some of you here, yeah. Huh? Some of you here, you're like, ah. Wings is almost over. <laughs> I always tell people, there, our relationship with God is like a triangle. And the closer we get to God, the closer we get to each other. If you're not getting really closer to your spouse, don't even begin to tell me that you're getting closer to God. It's a litmus test. Are you growing? I've been married now for 25 years. And I'll tell you what, man, the last month, God's been working in my marriage and doing different things. You're like, well, it just doesn't seem to be changing. It's because you just keep trying the same things. That's insanity. If you think you're going to do the same thing over and over again, expect it's going to change. You've got to do something different. Try reading with your wife. Try praying with your wife. Try it. All I'm saying is this, that I want to grow. And it's not about just being a better pastor. I mean, hopefully I will one day. Hopefully God will just do an awesome work that is just so evident, right, as a pastor. But man, 1 Timothy chapter 3 says it starts at home. And so we're growing. We're growing. We're becoming more like Christ. He'll show you what to do. He will give you the divine details. He will connect the dots for you. Like for me, you know, I, I, I've told you guys for a long time that I go to the garage and I spend time with the Lord. And then one day the Lord told me, well, why don't you just, you know, do it in the same room that your wife is doing it in? Spend time with the Lord in the same room that she's doing it in. 
I said, Lord, because then she'll talk to me while I'm trying to spend time with you, and she's going to keep interrupting me, you know? And, and you know how I am, Lord. And, and the Lord just said, you know what? For me, that was pivotal. That's pivotal in my life. And then next thing you know, I'm reading, and she's kind of respecting it. Yeah, we're talking a little bit, but it's just my way of saying, not necessarily that I'm putting Shelly before God. It's my way of saying, Lord, I want to grow as a husband. And I know that I can't honor you if, if I'm not really honoring her. Next thing you know, right after we're done reading, then, you know, because a lot of times it's hard to find time to pray together, then boom, you're ready. You can pray. You're right there. You're done. How important it is for husbands to pray with their wives. We got to grow. We got to grow in so many ways. I mean, we were talking about this last Sunday, overcoming sin. And you guys know that from Egypt to the Promised Land, or actually from Mount Sinai to the Promised Land, is an 11-day journey. That's, you know, a relatively short time. Going into the Promised Land is significant of victorious Christian living. So what should have been an 11-day journey, it was then, unfortunately, tragically transformed into 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. And unfortunately, a lot of people end up doing that. You know what, you guys? Do you know how awesome God is? That He lives in you, that nothing is too hard for Him, that He can move any mountain, that we can walk on any water? See, we got to know that. Right here, I love verse 9. Yet the righteous will hold to His way, and he who has clean hands will have strong hands. And he's going to get stronger and stronger. And that's what happened with Job. When it was all said and done, at the end of the book, we see that he said, man, I used to know this about God. You know, I heard this about God, but now I see him and everything's different. And so we read in verse 10, but, but please come back again, all of you. For I shall not find one wise man among you. And basically what he says there in verse 10 is you guys should go home and try a different argument when you come back. Because you haven't been making any sense. He says, my days are past. My purposes are broken off. Even the thoughts of my heart, they change the night into the day. The light is near, they say, in the face of darkness. If I wait for the grave is my house, if I make my bed in the darkness, if I say to corruption, you are my father, and to the worm, you are my mother and my sister, where then is my hope? As for my hope, who can see it? Will they go down at the gates of Sheol? Shall we have rest together in the dust? And, and this is a very, very difficult passage to interpret. But I think that for us, in studying the book of Job, what we find is that these guys were saying, night is day and day is night. And these guys were telling Job that if he got right, then there would be hope. But that was the wrong message. They were saying things backward. He was discombobulated. They just needed to know where Job was. I just want to die. I'm miserable. Can you meet me there? Can you comfort me there? And unfortunately, they couldn't. He says, if I go down to the grave, now we saw last time that Job believed in life after death, 
But again, he relapses and he meanders. And some say that he even says, if I go down and die, then I won't be justified. And so there's a lot of crazy things going on. Let me close um, with this man of wisdom, Warren Wiersbe. I want to share what he wrote. And I just think it's so wise. He said, the best way to help discouraged and hurting people is to listen with your heart and not just with your ears. It's not what they say, but why they say it that is important. Let them know that you understand their pain by reflecting back to them in different words just what they say to you. In other words, you know, if you repeat what, what people say, oh, say you're saying this, it shows them that you're listening. A lot of times people, you know, they get into arguments and they're not really listening. Hey, just, just listen to them, right? Just listen. He says, there will be a time later for logical reasoning. Meanwhile, patiently accept their feelings, even their bitter words against God, and build bridges, not walls. You know, as we go and we comfort people, as we're dealing maybe even with children that, you know, are, are not right, what are we building? Are we building bridges? Or are we building walls? I always tell parents this with, with kids, because a lot of times they start fighting, and next thing you know, they're, they're enemies. That's exactly what the devil wants. He wants to destroy your relationship with your children. Break off the communication. Build bridges, not walls. Use wisdom. Right? He goes on to say, There is true consolation in our faith, but it is not dispensed in convenient doses like cough medicine. It can be shared only by those who know what it's like to be so far down in the pit that they feel as though God has abandoned them. If you want to be a true comforter, there is a price to pay, and not everybody is willing to pay it. Paul wrote about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, and John Henry Jowett said this, and I'll close with this. God does not comfort us to make us comfortable, but to make us comforters. God's comfort is never given. It is always loaned. God expects us then to share it with others. And I will say this. Some of you here, you have been or you are going through tremendous trials. If that's you, this is what I want you to do. Look around. Because there are people that God wants you to comfort. 